Good evening. Welcome to Pigeon Post. It has been a minute, as the kids say. Or actually, the kids used to say, and now the 50-year-olds say. Um, it's been a while since I've done a Pigeon Post. Lots of things have been going on. I feel like a sojourner. So, you know, I think it's kind of good that this is called Pigeon Post for multiple reasons. Um, number one, it's called Pigeon Post because it's mostly done with me commuting, which is what pigeons do. So I'm commuting with a message, right? And um, <clears throat> I know, it's very clever. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so that's part of the reason why it's called Pigeon Post, but also, like, you know, do pigeons really have homes? I mean, pigeons seem to kind of wander around a lot. And um, not to make uh, our situation sound more dire than it is. But we wander around a lot. Um, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, we are in a new city, but things are still difficult. Um, so right now we are in the great state of Wyoming and so if you're keeping score at home we went from Texas to Colorado um, to Wyoming now these moves are not these linear easy things that happen uh, my wife and I know some friends might be listening to this and some complete strangers but just to let you in uh, my wife has something called mold illness and um, basically makes her unable to be in buildings unless those buildings are really new. Um, so that really kind of diminishes your housing market right there. Uh, couple that with the fact that we're single income and I'm a teacher by trade. So uh, it's hard. It's really hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, and you know, I. I had a really rough night, I guess you would say, evening, um, just <clears throat> sometimes, even as a Christian, you know, especially like doing a podcast, you might think that my opinion of myself is this great guy that knows all the answers, and uh, I'm sure I come off that way sometimes, but uh, at times, like last night, I see how wicked my heart uh, can be. And um, I had tried to record this podcast yesterday, and it, as God would have it, I wasn't able to really do it right or finish it. And so um, I kind of like that I'm redoing it with last night under my belt, just seeing um, just how bad my heart can be sometimes, how I just want to revolt against God and His will and just basically just not be happy just stand there in my unhappiness letting everybody know how unhappy I am and um, so pray for me if you're listening to this especially if you know me pray for me um, this this is not easy and I know that um, I'm not the only one going through struggles um, I'm not the only one in my family obviously I'm not the only one uh, in my community, 
and I'm sure that you are going through things that are much harder than what I'm going through, but we each feel like our thing that we're going through is the worst thing. Um, so I just want you to know, if you listen to this, that um, you're not the only one. You know, you're not the only Christian that thinks um, maybe God's not as great as I thought he was or not as good as I thought he was and that has those times of really questioning and um, just wanting on the one hand wanting the flesh to to let go of you you know wanting um, to let go of those things that are that are idolatrous even in your life um, but feeling like you're unable, you know, sometimes you just feel like you would, um, for lack of a better analogy, I think sometimes you feel like you would just sell your soul for, for whatever it is you want right then. Um, and then as a Christian, it's almost <laughs> even harder because you're like, I know, I, I know I'm not going to do that. Right. I know I'm not going to sell my soul. Uh, but the flesh wants what it wants so much that I feel like I would sell my soul for things sometimes. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to pour out a little bit of my heart to you right there. And um, that's unresolved. And I think, you know, the answer is always Christ. You know? Um, so I wanted to talk about the gospel. And, you know, I... I think that as believers, if you're a believer listening to this, that the goal is to get to a point where, you know, in our self-counsel, like how we think about ourselves, and then as believers among each other, that we do, we do try to help each other fix things, right? But I think we can be so practical sometimes as to not see that the answer is that you need to die to that thing, right? The answer is that you need to be okay if God doesn't ever do this thing that you're asking him for. Like, I think you can, you can err on either side, right? You can get to where you're fatalistic and you just think, um... It's not worth praying for anything because God's brought this into my life and I'm never going to pray myself to be free from this. Um, I'm not talking about a sin. I'm just talking about like maybe a sickness or a problem, you know, in your life, like a physical problem or a financial problem or just, you know, just a constant struggle, you know, and you're like... I think there's one part of the church that says the church at large, right? Or Protestantism at large. Um, one part of the church says, oh, just, you know, God doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. So just pray, try to pray your way out of everything, right? And that the problem with that is not only that it's unbiblical, but that it is a practical kind of self-focused thing. Like, the idea that I will be okay if God fixes this ailment 
or I will be okay if God fixes this problem in my life. And I think what that misses is that God wants us to be okay with the problems in our life. Um, I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to pray about it. So like I said, I think you can err on either side where you just, you just expect God to take everything bad out of your life on the one hand, or maybe you just expect nothing good to ever happen to you, you know, kind of this like Eeyore mode. Um, and I think that we have to let the spirit be the spirit. Um, as long as we're letting the word be the word, right? So the spirit is never going to contradict the word of God. So the spirit's never going to say, Hey, claim your healing today. You know, like just claim it and name it. And if you pray hard enough, it's going to happen. That's not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't go against the word of God. Um, we are called to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Um, how is it the Holy Spirit to say that we're never supposed to suffer? And yet, we can't err on the other side and say, God just wants to smash you into the ground every day. And you can't expect that. No, because the, the Bible says His mercies are new every morning. Now, we might still be in the pit. I think Jeremiah was in a pit when he said that, right? But there is a spiritual rejuvenation and joy that can happen even in the midst of suffering. So we would be missing out on probably the biggest, our second biggest miracle of the Christian life. And that is to have joy in the middle of suffering. So if God wants to glorify himself by giving me joy in the middle of suffering, um, can I really be so demanding as to say, God, I'm not going to serve you unless you stop this suffering, right? Or God, I'm claiming this suffering and there's no way that you can, that your will is not for me to claim this suffering, right? Or I think I said that backwards, but you get what I'm saying there, right? Um, anyway, let me go ahead and I've kind of, I wasn't planning any of that, honestly. Just want to tell you things are difficult and that's why I haven't podcasted in a long time. And um, I don't know how many times I'll do a podcast. I'm hoping to be able to watch some of the presidential debate and maybe tomorrow or the next day do a podcast about that because uh, I've gone back and forth a little bit on some politics stuff on uh, the old Facebook. And um, yeah, I think there's really a lot of things that I don't know the answer to and I don't claim to know the answer to. But I think there's a lot of things that we have sort of crooked. Um, so yeah, maybe there'll be a political podcast, though that is definitely not the aim of this show. Uh, but it does, it is part of the Christian life, right? So, all right, so the two things that I want to talk about the most are, I just want to go over the gospel, just for myself. Uh, we're supposed to preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, it's just a good practice, like, you know, remind ourselves, uh, test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, um, build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And so I just want to go over the gospel. And then I also want to talk about just some ideas that I have about church. Um, and so I don't want to get into that too much, but 
I think those are mainly the two things. I, I think I'll probably be out of time by then. I got about a 30 minute drive here. So, um, yeah, let's go into the gospel. So, part of the reason why I want to talk about the gospel is because I haven't shared the gospel in a long time, honestly. COVID has kind of stifled a little bit of that, and actually a lot of it, to be quite honest, stifled our ability to go to church, because um, my wife is high risk, and just stifled, stifled that, but there's also been opportunities. I mean, I was at Walmart yesterday, and I saw two Mormons <laughs> shopping, two Mormon missionaries. Um, they were shopping at Walmart, and normally I would talk to them, and I had this inclination. Like, anytime I see Mormons, I'm like, oh, my heart just kind of sinks. Or not really sinks, but just kind of starts beating real fast, because I know I'm supposed to talk to them. That's like something that I know God has called me to do. And I I think I disobeyed God. I just kind of walked away. I, I, had, I was under a timeline, a time deadline, so... I was like, you know what, I need to get get my lunch and get out of here. Um, but it was just an excuse. I could have asked them a question to think about. I could have gotten one of their numbers. <clears throat> Mormons love to talk, so that was a big fail on my part. And it just kind of hammered home the fact that I haven't been sharing the gospel, and I'm not. when you're not doing it, you're not comfortable doing it. And just kind of in this area of defeat, being a little bit defeated in my life, um, but I have to move beyond that, and I have to remind myself of what Christ has done and is doing for me, and know that we're called to rescue the perishing, right? Like, not sharing the gospel is like, you know, just leaving the person to drown, you know? Um, we have to do it. We have to, to throw out a lifeline. Um, so here's the gospel, right? The gospel is that a person like me who was, grew, up, grew up in church and most people would consider a good, good kid and didn't get into too much trouble um, and people would think, okay, you're, you're good. You're going to heaven, right? You're made good grades and were a pretty good kid and not particularly great I and mean, a lot of people can find a lot of bad things about me um, I know the worst things about me right and I think most people would say you know I'm a good person I'm in a good relationship with God um, but that per those people would probably be really I know because I've talked to them I have shared the gospel a lot in the past you're hard-pressed to, to say, like, who God is exactly, whether his word is true or not, whether other religions also know God. All these things are kind of indicators that a person doesn't know God. And so uh, the first thing that we need to do when we share the gospel is to clarify, like, who is God? Well, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. God is the God of Adam and Eve. God is the God of Noah. God is the historical Yahweh of the Bible. And Yahweh uh, created man in his own image. So we're all special. We have a mark uh, of God upon us. We should be loving each other, the Bible tells us. 
And we should also be loving the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Um, that's the first commandment. Uh, but what, what's ended up happening is that we, since Adam and Eve fell when they ate the fruit and rebelled against God, we uh, it sort of changed the nature of our, of our birthright, right? Changed the nature of our country, so to speak. Like, we are born under enemy lines now. We are not in the garden. Our relationship with God is fractured upon the moment of our birth. David says he was conceived in sin. Um, we are all uh, sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. So we don't come out of the womb just glorifying God. No, we don't know God. We have to be taught to know God. We have to be taught uh, right and wrong. And yet there's still, even though our hearts are wicked and deceitful, um, there's still this mark upon us that tells us right and wrong. God gave us a conscience. He left his mark upon us. Now that conscience is not enough to save us. So we can't just start following our conscience, which I think a lot of people think, and then if we live with a clear conscience, then we're good. Um, we can't do that. that. That doesn't save us because it does nothing to take away our sin. And it also does nothing to glorify God with uh, whatever acts of righteousness we may be trying to to do, right? Um, so not only is our sin not good, but our righteousness is no good either. So once again, we're, we're enemies of God and we're rebelling against him, just kind of shaking our fist at him with every rebellion that we do, right? Um, you know this when you have kids, you think they're like the best thing in the world and the most pure thing ever. And then they start telling you no to your face and yelling at you. And uh, sometimes they even hit you, right? And you're like, what is going on, right? Like the sin is starting to, to worm its way out, right? So we are rebels, born rebels under enemy lines, but also rebels by choice. The minute we get the chance, we commit acts of treason against our king. And... Um, this is a fractured relationship. So you're not born a child of God. You're born an enemy of God. And you confirm it with all the sin that you commit. So what, what is God to do? Well, he can wipe you away with a flood like he did in Noah's time. Um, he can leave you in Egypt like he did in Moses' time. Um, and he can send you to hell like Jesus says he's going to do. Um, because our sin is... Our guilt before God is so great. It's like a huge debt that we can't pay. Um, and we are under the curse of death. So we have a debt to pay. We have death uh, to pay. We have uh, nothing to offer God um, and nothing that's really given him glory. Uh, but God is still gracious, right? When we look out in nature, we can see that there is a God um, just by nature. So when a person says there's not a God, they're, they're failing to look at their own conscience as evidence. And they're failing to look out in nature and see that God is there. Uh, but those things are not enough to save. We need the gospel. So the gospel comes in and tells us who God is. He's the Yahweh of the Bible, um, that he is triune as we see uh, just kind of slowly revealed throughout Scripture and ultimately in Jesus. So you can't have the gospel without Jesus. 
Jesus is the Son. So he's Father, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Don't try to dissect it or analyze it. Um, just know that that's what the Bible says. Um, there are no perfect analogies, though you can find analogies online that sort of help sometimes. Um, but an analogy is not going to convert you. What's going to convert you is the gospel. And the gospel says that while you were dead in your sins, Christ died for you. So there was a, a person who died on your behalf. Now only one person could be good enough to do that. And that is basically God himself. So the Bible says that when he looked down to see how he was going to save man, there was no one to do it, no one to intervene. So he sent his own arm. He reached down his own arm to save us. It's like a lot of people think you can climb a ladder to heaven. And that's how you get to heaven, just by climbing these steps, right? Do these sacraments, uh, do this yoga, um, you know, find the God within, um, follow the tenets of Islam. It's all works-based doing, climbing a ladder, right? Just like you're working up the corporate ladder at work. But that is not how God chose to save because, number one, there is no ladder, right? <laughs> Who's going to build a ladder for you? Um, and furthermore, you're going to climb up and save yourself with your own strength and righteousness that you don't have in the first place. In fact, the Bible says that you're dead in your sins, that we all are dead in our sins before Christ. So we're dead at the bottom of a non-existent ladder. So how does God get us to him? Well, he comes down to us. So he sent himself, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the Old Testament is known as the word of God or the angel of the Lord. It's this visible expression, uh, which is probably not the right word, but we're not getting theologically technical here today. Um, of God. Um, he is his own person. Uh, so God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He sends himself, his own arm, Jesus Christ, to come down and be what's called a mediator. So it's he, Jesus, is the ladder, and he's also the one who walks on the ladder, right? So it's like uh, the incarnation puts this ladder from heaven to earth, right? Christ comes down the ladder. Um, he does everything that you didn't do. Uh, he loves the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. He loves his neighbor as he loves himself. And he fulfills the law perfectly. And this, all this does is make him the perfect lamb of God. Well, it proves his identity, but it also makes him the perfect lamb of God to take away our sins. So that the debt that we owe, the death that we owe, all those things are paid for by Christ. And so because of this, we don't have to die for our own sins. We don't have to pay our own debt. He also gives us his righteousness, his standing before God. Think of it like an inheritance, right? That Jesus is by nature the Son of God and he inherits eternity with God. And so he gives that to us who put our faith in what he's done. So the whole thing requires you not to work your way to heaven, but to actually deny yourself, deny your own ability to save yourself, deny the things that you think you want. It's what's called repentance and faith. So we repent and believe 
uh, that we couldn't save ourselves and that God could. Even if we don't fully understand how he did it, um, even though that's important, I think that the essential thing is to repent, to turn away from our sin, and believe that in Jesus Christ alone, we are able to come to God. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus offers us this new life just by faith, just by believing in him. Um, when we get that new life, that's, it's not just a ticket to heaven that gets punched. We get a brand new heart with new desires. So a person that loves Jesus now will, will suddenly realize, why do I love Jesus? I used to take his name in vain. Uh, why did, I used to curse him, you know? Like, why do I um, want to share the gospel? I used to think the people that did that were crazy. Uh, why do I love my wife and kids more than I ever have before? Um, why do I see the beauty in life? All these things, the fruit of the Spirit begins to show itself in our life uh, as we put our faith and hope in what Jesus has done for us. And we become children of the Father. We are adopted into the family, no longer rebels, but children, sons and daughters of God. Not because we're great, but because Christ is that we are vicariously uh, living in his uh, relationship that he has with the Father by being in him. Um, so that's just a short rundown of the gospel. Um, there's a lot more that could be said, but that just, I needed to say that. I needed to kind of walk through that so that as I'm looking at my own life and the challenges in these areas of rebellion, that I need to continue to repent and believe. It's not just a prayer that we pray. It's not just something that we do once. It is a constant thing that happens in our life. It's constantly turning away from our sin and putting our faith in Christ. And uh, he makes us a new creation when we do that. So, um, now, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, normally I put a little music break here to sort of reset, but I'm driving, I don't want to hit any buttons I don't need to hit. So I'm just going to go into segment two, so to speak, here. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the church. Uh, my wife and I are kind of, you know, displaced right now with regard to the church. We were involved in a couple of churches. You know, with my wife, it's mainly like what building she feels good in. Um, so we were involved in a couple churches in Houston and a couple churches in Colorado. Uh, but in Wyoming, now with COVID and everything, we don't even go to church. Um, and honestly, I found it difficult to just kind of tune in, so to speak, and sort of pretend that that is church. Uh, that watching a sermon or... Um, tuning into like a Facebook live stream and, you know, saying, hi, everybody, you know, on the comment is church. There's no way that's church. Um, and that just kind of continues this conversation or this thought process that I've been going through. And I just wanted to share a little bit of that with you. So if I thought back on the most spiritually impacting things in my life, and I don't mean like these mountaintop experiences as we say in the Christian life or 
you know, miracles or anything like that. I'm talking about just times that solidified and sweetened and comforted my relationship with Christ. Um, it's usually always been in community with others, other believers. And I think we stay in community with other believers with our family, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're really lacking the community of other believers who are not related to by blood, you know. Um, and all kinds of convictions start surfacing, and it's mainly based around this. I feel like church is already a spectator sport before COVID. So you go to church, you sing hymns, you can barely hear the people around you singing because the music is so loud. The people on the stage are like the worship leaders, which I guess you could make a biblical case for. Um, but it doesn't seem like that that's what Paul has in mind when he's talking about uh, when you when you come together, one of you might have a hymn, one of you might have a psalm, uh, you might have a spiritual song that you want to sing. It sounds much more like you're sitting around a small group of people, a relatively small group of people, so much so that you know each other enough to know what's going on in each other's life, and you might say, you know what, I really feel like, based on what's going on in John's life, that we should sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. I think that would be encouraging to John. Or, I feel like what's going on in Mary's life, um, and some things that she's mentioned, let's all recite Psalm 23 together and remind Mary and all of us that the Lord is our shepherd. Like, how powerful would that be? Um, compared to the worship leader who might know some people in the church, but is just picking out songs that he thinks, or he or she thinks, go with the sermon, right? So it really becomes about this planned out or orchestrated performance uh, rather than um, the building up of the saints by the saints, you know? Um, even the sermon is... I mean, what is it supposed to be? I don't understand, honestly. I think a lot of people say, oh, it's a form of prophecy or it's a form of teaching. Well, I don't know about you, but I am a teacher. And when I teach, I ask people questions. And I know that Jesus did that as well. And he addressed individuals when he taught. It wasn't a discourse where everybody was supposed to be silent. And the problem with everybody being silent during the sermon is immediately the kids have to go. <laughs> and the kids should be in church with the parents. So why do you think Paul said, children obey your parents in the Lord? Well, that letter was supposed to be read to that church and probably many others. And Paul knew that in all of those churches, the children would be there sitting with the parents, so much so that he could address the children and the children would be used to listening to whoever was talking and know that they were being addressed. Um, so right there, We've got some major issues with not just our church model in general. Sorry, my voice is kind of failing here. I've been drinking up water today, but not just a problem with our church model in general, but a really acute problem with people who are trying to do Zoom church air quotes. Uh, for one thing, church is probably not even the right word, right? Uh, it's more of a, an assembly, a coming together of people, right? 
Um, so it's more like a gathering. Um, I just want to throw out a couple things to just kind of make you think. Now, I'm not trying to to down people that don't do this, and I'm not trying to be unorthodox in any way. I know that people that ask questions, like Rob Bell, uh, <laughs> tend to be like, he's like, does it really matter if Mary's a virgin? I'm not asking questions like that. I'm talking about just the way that we do church, which if you think that the exact way that the Sunday service air quotes, which you can't find that in the Bible, by the way, if you think the way that all goes down is printed out in the Bible, it's not. Um, so I do think it's perfectly fine to poke around at that and say like, how can we obey scripture a little better than we are currently obeying scripture so that we can build each other up in the faith and that we can express our spiritual gifts around each other. So let me throw a couple things out there. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Now let me ask you something. When's the last time you prayed in church so that people could hear you? Me neither. Which means that the church has a paid staff most of the time or some special person. Uh, a couple of people get to pray out loud so that everybody can hear and no other prayer really happens unless you're super spiritual and you hang out after church and pray for each other okay or even worse in my opinion come to the front of the church to pray by yourself where nobody can hear you or where you pray with a special staff member um, this is not the biblical model ladies and gentlemen where is this in the bible we should be praying together, okay? Saying our prayers out loud together for things. Now, I have seen this in church. I'm not coming up with this. I'm basically looking at the churches that I've been to and saying, when was it really awesome, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, it was awesome at this one church when we, in the middle of the service, would every week just gather with a small group of people around us and pray about something that the pastor wanted us to pray about. And we had some time to share with each other and get in each other's lives. And that was one of the best parts of the service, right? So if you're gonna have what's called a service, which we should question that completely too, um, where's the prayer by the people? Why is the person on stage praying with a microphone and nobody else is? It's really silly. Who's guarding that microphone? <laughs> like. You can't just walk up there and say something on the microphone, most churches. Like, that would get you kicked out. You know, like, it's it's silly, some things that we're doing. We need to stop doing those things and start obeying scripture. Um, I'll throw another one out that's a little, probably a little controversial, or mega controversial, because I don't even really know of many people that do this, except for maybe some Presbyterians. Uh, maybe the Orth Eastern Orthodox, I'm not sure. Uh, now. On the one hand, I don't think the Bible shows that we should baptize babies or children that... I think baptism is something that follows repentance and faith and is an expression of that. So by definition, I don't think we can baptize babies. But let me say this, and I could be totally wrong about this, so please don't say, oh, this guy on the internet said this, it must be true. Go search it out. But here's what it seems to me is happening with the Lord's Supper. There's a meal happening. People are eating a lot of food, right? 
And then at some point, somebody does what Jesus did, which is breaks the bread, holds up a piece and says, in remembrance of Christ, this is his body. And everybody eats it. Now let me ask you something. Do you think that it was passed around on a special plate? I don't think so. Um, do you think that the kids were left out? Like the kids are sitting at the table, everybody's eating this big feast, and then the person says, this is the body of Christ. Remember what Jesus did for you. And eats it and then says, oh, all you kids, don't eat. No, 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 no. I don't get that. Um, so I know that's a pretty radical Reformation idea <laughs> to propose that, wait a minute, so you're saying we should do believer's baptism uh, but infant communion? And I'm saying maybe. I don't know. You know? It's kind of like, have you, if you're on Disney Plus, it's like, Forky ask a question. I don't know. <laughs> My kids and I love the Forky ask a question. But yeah, I'm kind of just like Forky asking a question there. Like, this doesn't make any, it doesn't look anything like what's in the Bible, in my opinion. The passing around of the tiny grape juice uh, with no meal. There's not even a meal taking, where's the meal? You know, like, should we be eating some food? Uh, I know that Paul says, go eat food in your own homes, but these, it's, an, it's a meal setting. He's talking about the people that are gorging themselves and not showing love to the lower class people while they're eating this extravagant meal. They're just bringing their own magic picnic and leaving everybody else out. But I don't think that that means that we're not having a meal, right? So. I don't know. I think we got to get some things straight on that. Like, am I saying that I have some great idea that nobody's thought of for 2,000 years? If I am saying that, I'm probably a heretic. So uh, check it out. I know I've heard many of the theological reasons and even the biblical warning about taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. But does that mean that a kid with a little bit of faith? Uh, who's not ready to be baptized is taking the Lord's Supper unworthily if they're trying to remember what Jesus did for them? I don't think so. I think it's bizarre, honestly. And I think a lot of churches are moving away from this hardcore rule that you have to be baptized before you can take communion um, or the Lord's Supper or whatever you want to call it. Also, why all the words, right? <laughs> why is it called Eucharist, Lord's Supper, Communion? Like, can we simplify some things? Because it's just weird, you know? Um, so, what am I saying? In short, I'm saying I really think that the church service should be analyzed and reformed in some way, not in a classical Reformation way, but reformed according to Scripture, uh, that we should really think about what we're doing, especially in times of COVID. Now, is there a way that we can Zoom and you know or whatever application we're using so that we can all be there and we can all talk and we can all pray yes i think we can take advantage of these virtual things to do this in a COVID era but i think the the thing that's strikingly clear is that when i log on and watch a service it's like i'm not even there and honestly when i walked in and watched the service, it was like I was not even there. 
So I beg of you, I know that a lot of people are not, they're too invested in their, I'm not in a church right now, so I'm free to say this uh, with only the possibility of disrupting or hurting the feelings of people that I used to be in church with. But I'm telling you, I've seen some great things in those churches that I was in. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the forefront and say, look, why twist people's, not twisting their arm, but why sort of like demand that people, if they're going to get the full experience of the Christian life, that they have to come on Wednesday night to your house to get the full experience of the Christian life. When Sunday is the Lord's day, why not do it on that day? And instead of taking our kids and shoving them in a room, that we bring them out and we have more of a biblical experience of being together in a gathering. Less microphones, less amplifiers, less sermons, less paid staff, less buildings. I mean, why not? What's the worst that could happen? I mean, the Father is seeking people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth, not in building and in liturgy, right? Like, that stuff is fine in its own context, but it, the best liturgies that I've seen have allowed people to be interactive. And I just, I'm not gonna shout out by name, but you know who you are if you're listening. Like, I've been asked to read the Bible at church. That was so good for me. That was just some of the best services that I was able, because I was able to participate, you know? and. Things are so non-participatory in church most of the time. Um, now, I just want to kind of end here. I know I didn't fully flesh out the whole thing, but I want to say something about the sermon, okay? I think Paul is very clear, despite whatever you think about tongues or prophecy, that's, that's not for this podcast. But what you can say at minimum is that um, more than one person is talking. Okay, more than one person is sharing uh, when Christians get together. It's not the solo pastor guy. Now, do I think that you know the most mature, learned, scholarly person should give extended teachings? Yeah, Paul did that. Should that be what happens at the ga- the normal Sunday gathering? No. Why don't we flip it? Right? Why don't instead of sending everybody to somebody's home once a week? in addition to the service that we expect everybody to be at, why don't we just expect everybody to meet in homes on Sunday and then say, you know what, we're gonna have this extended teaching time through Romans, it's gonna be three hours long. We don't expect you to bring your kids to that. It's not our gathering, it's just an extended teaching time. And if somebody falls asleep and falls out of a window, that's fine, right? (laughs) That's what happened in Acts, right, with Paul. So there's definitely extended teaching times, but to expect, number one, everybody to just be silent for an hour and listen to one person talk, no matter how great what they're saying is, let's be honest, it's not effective teaching. It's just not the way you teach a class. Um, teaching is interactive. It's the way that Jesus taught. And even the sermons that are recorded in the Bible are, are given in brevity. I mean, like you can read them in five minutes. Um, is all of this really necessary? And is it necessary for one person to just keep sort of like, you know, 
amassing this information and then trying to give it out in one of the least effective ways that there is, right? So I think more men, especially, should be teaching. There should be a couple of different teaching times. Um, it should be more interactive and more kid-friendly, like if somebody, you know, yells or screams, like it's not a big deal, you know? And I think there should be more scripture reading. Um, Paul tells Timothy, devote yourself to the reading of scripture, right? And I know that a lot of Presbyterian um, and even Anglican and Catholic and Orthodox read larger amounts of scripture. So we should read a lot of scripture, right? Um, there was one church I was at where the pastor just read like an entire book uh, of, of scripture. That's awesome, right? We should do different things like that. But we should also um, understand that there, there are people in the church that have gifts that are not being used and not being um, tended, so to speak, so that one person dominates everything. And uh, honestly, I don't, I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's biblical. Um, do I think it's outright sinful and all these churches are just going to hell? No, I don't think that because most churches are doing that. And I think sadly they're just doing it because it's what's been done and it involves job security and it involves, um, people not having to do much, you know? Um, and I just think it's kind of sad. So I would encourage you, maybe I'll make another podcast. Uh, maybe if you have something to share, you could send me an email at pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts on what a church service is and why we we do this uh, non-participatory gathering uh, because I think it should be families sitting around praying, reading scripture, different people talking about things, um, sharing songs and it should feel a lot more like you know when your family gets together for Christmas uh, than like when you go s sit in a lecture at the history, the history uh, auditorium, you know, in college, right? Um, this is not a cerebral only lecture that is supposed to happen on Sundays, but a gathering of the saints to build each other up, to use our gifts, and to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in one another's lives. And it shouldn't take so long for us to get to know each other and um, have to do all these other meetings, which are seen as lesser meetings, when we have Sunday for that. Um, so in a sense, I think the sermon should be shorter. I think the gathering should be longer, more interactive, include meal, include uh, everything that scripture says, which we didn't even get into. Um, and I would just challenge you to kind of just run through that and not so that you can be a troublemaker in your church. Um, I know that people have viewed me as that before. Um, that's not my goal. But the goal is that we actually experience what Christ gave us to experience. So thank you for listening. Um, yeah, love you. See you next time. Um, I might do a political podcast <laughs> on the debate if I get a chance to watch it, but we'll see. So talk to you later. Bye.